Governor Kemp hobnobs with the global elite. If there's gridlock in Washington, D.C., one thing you can count on is the stability and a great economy, a great business environment in the state of Georgia, and we're going to keep rocking and rolling. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And be sure to rate us and review us while you're there, because it really helps us grow the show. Coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about Governor Kemp's visit to the Swiss town of Davos. We're also going to discuss President Biden's visit to Ebenezer Baptist Church over the weekend. And Patricia, unfortunately, I am not coming to you from the elite ski resort of Davos. And it's through no fault of my own or the AJCs, (laughs) to their credit, uh, to the enduring credit of my bosses. They signed off on me to go to Davos this week to join the governor. The governor's camp was not opposed to it. They said they'd give me access and all that good stuff. But it turns out that going to one of the most elite global conferences in the history of the planet is no easy task. It's the most fortified hotel in the world, and you can't just walk in and getting credentialed. Most folks who were credentialed were credentialed a very long time ago, and even with an expedited process. I'll put it this way. We're taping this on Tuesday. I still haven't gotten cleared for my credentials. So had I gone out there, I would have been out in the cold outside the hotel room trying to get in. Yes, you can think of Davos as sort of an inauguration meets a state dinner, meets um, a French president's swearing in, meets the King of England's coronation. I mean, it's 52 heads of state, 500 CEOs, just the the most elite, highly secure people on the, on the globe. I mean, that's just all there is. So it requires more than three days advanced planning. Greg, when I was reading the fashion blog about what you should wear, it also said that you needed to wear ski boots at all times because walking around Davos is nearly impossible because it's like very steep and many of the sidewalks are iced over and Ooh. you really need to be in your own motorcade to properly navigate. So while I know you wanted to go, I, I feel like you might have dodged a bullet. It said you needed your own motorcade to navigate. <laughs> it said don't bother driving. You're going to have to like walk in from miles away because it's so heavily fortified. It's like the Olympics. You basically needed to be a gold medalist to get to the inner sanctum. And as you may have noticed, the press are not the gold medalists. Yeah, I don't own ski boots either, but I did learn a lot about Davos in kind of making my backup plan in case I was credentialed. And one of the things I learned was that even if Google or Expedia or whatever tells you that a hotel is available six miles away. There's also the little issue of the Alps. (laughs) So (laughs) six miles in Switzerland means an hour and a half drive. And and then imagine doing that on your your rented Renault, (laughs) you know. (laughs) At 9 I love p.m. at the night, idea of you driving this, this windy Swiss road <laughs> in blinding snow. So anyway, my wife wasn't all that oh, upset. That I missed I'm opportunity, and yet I missed bullet. <laughs> I wouldn't worried about it too much. And we saw what we needed to um, on the live feed. At any rate, we still got to see Brian Kemp. We saw what they wanted us to see. But yes, exactly. Um, that's the truth. And it will give me a chance to celebrate my wife's birthday, which is. On Wednesday, which is and, as many and a of you higher priority, to. I might add. Exactly. So, happy birthday, Cheryl! If she, when she's happy birthday, to this. Cheryl! Indeed. This is politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. 
In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Patricia, it's been a really busy week in Georgia politics per the norm. Let's start with President Biden, who came to Ebenezer Baptist Church over the weekend. And I think it's safe to say it was a starkly different tone than his pre-Martin Luther King Jr. Day visit last year. That was when he struck a defiant note. He vowed to pass federal voting rights protections, even if it meant scaling back the filibuster. This time around, he did not say that, he did not issue that sort of vow. Instead, he talked about how uh, voters, how Americans should keep MLK's words, his ideals in their hearts, and hope that you know, we're moving towards his vision, his dream of a reality. We have to choose a community over chaos. Are we the people who are going to choose love over hate? These are the vital questions of our time and the reason why I'm here as your president. I believe Dr. King's life and legacy show us the way and we should pay attention. So I think that Joe Biden obviously had two really different audiences in the last two speeches that he's given in Atlanta and two really different jobs to get done. When he was at Clark Atlanta a year ago, he really was speaking to the United States Senate, saying to all 100 members, it's time to get rid of the filibuster in order to move voting rights. So he's very fiery. He was very demanding. And by the way, it didn't work. He didn't, they didn't really even get close to eliminating the filibuster. Even Democrats had misgivings about eliminating the filibuster for Republicans, for them to get past Republicans, but can, because then flip a seat and then Republicans can do the exact same thing to you. So that sort of strategy didn't work for voting rights. Biden did get a lot of other things done, but he also lost the House, um, you know, through the middle of his term. And so he has this new need to reset. He also was coming off a really rough press week last week um, with the disclosure of the documents that have been in his own possession since he was vice president. So he was really this time around, I feel like um, speaking to the American people, not to, you know, a handful of senators and saying to them and really going back to the Joe Biden who was elected, I think the sort of the man looking for consensus, the man looking to heal the nation, the man fighting for democracy, and really talking above the Senate, past the Senate to the American people. And that really felt like what he was doing at Ebenezer. And he was in not just at Ebenezer, but he was giving the Sunday sermon. And that is so significant, because while many presidents have been to Ebenezer, he was the first to deliver that Sunday Mm -hmm. sermon on the anniversary of, of what would have been King's birthday invited by Raphael Warnock. And when you talk about just this huge scope, the sweep of history with Ebenezer, if you just imagine Martin Luther King 
being the pastor there now, fast forward um, more than, you know, nearly 70 years, and the man who is the pastor has also been elected to the United States Senate and invited the president. When the pastors at Ebenezer used to have to really plead to the president to help them, Warnock has invited the president. The president came, I would assume, without question. He was there enthusiastically um, and really throughout the campaign ready to do anything Warnock asked, including not come, in order to get him across the finish line. So it was just hugely significant day on Sunday. Yeah, I know that. And that was the, probably the second aim of the mission. But I, I went back and looked at President Biden's speech in January of 2022, because I wasn't there. I, I was I was still celebrating the Georgia National Championship in Indianapolis. It was remarkably bad scheduling for the president, <laughs> not just because of me, but there was a lot of, uh, certainly not because of me, but because there was a lot of politicians, Democrats in particular, who said, why would the president schedule a meeting the day after the National Championship game, a big rally? And even Stacey Abrams, as we all remember, did not famously show up for that, not because of UGA, but uh, because of a prior commitment. But I went back and looked at the president's speech from way back when, and it was it was very, I mean, I think I used the word defiant earlier, and I think that really describes it. This is a direct quote. So I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is the moment to decide to defend our elections, to defend our democracy. So sort of a very punchy, aggressive speech, really laying down his agenda. And as you mentioned, an agenda that did not pass because shortly after that, Two Democratic senators, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, said in no uncertain terms they would not move to ease the filibuster rules in order to pass federal voting rights. And at that point, we actually started to see a shift in Senator Warnock's approach. You know, up until then, voting rights was his main and still is one of his main priorities, but that was also the centerpiece of his re-election agenda at that early moment in his re-election campaign. And after that, he started changing his message a little bit because it seemed, you know, it was not going to pass <laughs> unless there is a dramatic development, which ended up not happening. And of course, with President Biden's speech over the weekend, very different, talked about hope, talked about perseverance, talked about ideals, but did not sort of lay down the gauntlet with Republicans. And as you noted too, the other big portion of that speech was making, I wouldn't say, I don't know if fence mending is the best way to put it, but we know that throughout the campaign, Senator Warnock steered clear of Joe Biden, wouldn't even say if if he should run for a second term, wouldn't endorse him running for a second term. Anytime me or, or other reporters asked him about Joe Biden, he'd say, that's just pundit talk. Who's up, who's down, who's in, who's out, who's left, who's right? That's just, who cares? You know, that, that was his stock answer to those sorts of questions. Shortly after he got elected, he got reelected, Warnock changed his tune. Um, the senator said he hopes that Joe Biden runs again. He spoke very positively about him and then called him up and said, hey, can you come to Ebenezer? And so they worked out a way for them to appear on stage and sort of let it be known that there were no hard feelings. I think that's a, that's a, it was a very important moment too for Senator Warnock. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I think of it not so much as fence mending, but really as just sort of a reset. You know, there are things that politicians do when they're in cycle that are certainly not what they would do when they're out of cycle. And when they're, you know, simply sitting in their seat and uh, operating as U.S. Senator with six years ahead of him, as Raphael Warnock will be, I think it'll be really important for Warnock, as we see him going forward here, to really find a logical path from where he was during the campaign, talking so much about working with Republicans, talking more about Ted Cruz than talking about Joe Biden, to really find a way that does not feel like a huge shift into reverse after he got elected. So very quickly coming around and saying, uh, yes, I do want Joe Biden to run for president. I don't think anybody really thought he didn't want Joe Biden to run for president, but he really just strategically steered clear of that issue, really Mm -hmm. focused on local issues, focused on economic issues and pocketbook issues that he knew voters were focused on and cared about. They didn't really care about what he was saying about the presidential election. That was clearly not moving the votes of anybody. But now that he is reelected, we're all watching him really carefully to see where he goes with this. What kind of a senator is he going to be? Will he really be the kind of bipartisan um, sort of partner when possible, uh, yet also progressive um, when he wants to be? Where's he kind of just where is he going with this generally with six years ahead of him? He can just do whatever he wants. And this will be really a chance for him to lay down the kind of senator he really is and not the kind of senator he needs to be while he's in cycle. The best leaders tend to be the same person at both times. And we'll see what kind of uh, leader Warnock is. That's a beautiful way to put it. Oh, thank you. (laughs) This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We think the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can join the community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. Well, Patricia... Let's talk about the other big development this week, which is still happening. Governor Kemp flies 4,700 miles away to go to Davos, Switzerland. And this is not unusual for a governor to go on some foreign trip, of course. I've been with governors to Brazil and the Panama and Israel and Canada and all sorts of other places. But what is unusual is to see, A, Governor Brian Kemp going 
to Davos being that Davos is this conclave of billionaires and heads of state, and frankly, a symbol of excess to a lot of Republican critics of this convention. I mean, Davos is the byword of the wealthy elites. And here's Governor Kemp, who is a populist in many, many senses, who uh, is famed for his love for bush hogging and for varsity hot dogs, you name it. Like, he's never been someone who puts himself out as an elitist, wealthy power broker. He, he frames himself as the everyman, and, and he's going to hobnob with a bunch of folks who, who are not. <laughs> yes, it's so true. And I will admit, I've had a little fun thinking about Brian camping over there in his black cowboy boots, which indeed he did appear on the stage at the World Economic Forum in his black cowboy boots. And I just think that is such an incredible contrast from who we've known Kemp to be all along. So the idea of him in Davos is just hard to wrap your head around. But um, really, it makes perfect sense. For one thing, having just one re-election, Kemp does not have to worry about kind of ridiculous scandals over visuals that don't really mean anything. And I would put Davos at the top of that list. And that is because Davos is not about the 15 minutes when you're on stage answering a question. It really is about the four days when you're there um, at this forum that has brought together, you know, as we were saying, all of these heads of state, but more importantly, many, many, many CEOs, particularly in the case of this year's Davos CEOs in the clean energy space, electric vehicles, renewable resources, and the entire kind of industry, the entire sector that Georgia is trying to bring um, all of that manufacturing here to the state, whether it's US-based corporations or international corporations. And that's where Kemp has had some of his biggest successes. And it doesn't just happen that a company like Hyundai just feels like moving to Bryan County, <laughs> Georgia. That uh, They didn't just come up with that idea and uh, on a map and throw a dart and say, sure, that looks like a great hayfield. Let's do it. There are numerous consistent pitches built on relationships that were established long ago. And so that's really what this is about. It's not really about Brian Kemp and his cowboy boots in the Swiss snow, which I do just love to think about because it just cracks me up. I just think it's so funny. It really is instead about these multi-billion dollar deals that Kemp sees on the horizon, envisions for this state. And he doesn't have to worry about a GOP primary challenger in six months saying, ah, Brian Kemp went to Davos. All he has to worry about is doing the legwork on starting to lay more work to get more deals done. And I think that's what this is actually about. And I think you're exactly right. I mean, he he was in a 45-minute conference. He got maybe one or two answers out of it. But that's that's the sideshow, right? That got him the invite. But what the governor's office, how, how Kemp and his aides see this, and frankly, how economic development recruiters see this, is it's an economic trade mission. You know, he, he still doesn't neutralize him from any criticism he might get from the far right or from or from Democrats. But that's what this is. And he's able to meet with the South Korean delegation, the Japanese delegation, the European delegation, all in one spot, all in one little tiny resort town in one fell swoop rather than make other trips. Now, he still might go to South Korea, he still might go back to Europe, you know, he, he still might take other trade missions elsewhere, even though he's met with some of these folks, but this could either plant the seed or continue to build that groundwork um, for other projects that could be coming down the pike. And again, he can do it all 
in the setting of this conference. And as our friends over at CNBC reported, on Monday, before the conference really even began, Governor Kemp was already at a lunch at the top of this really ultra-exclusive hotel, I guess is how to, how to, how to describe it, um, where there's only very limited access. And he's with uh, a group of 50 CEOs and a few other political leaders from the U.S. And so he's our, and you know, as we heard in Davos, he's making the pitch for Georgia business. So it won't inoculate him from any criticism um, that he's likely to get. But, you know, this is is the other thing. And both of us wrote about this over the weekend. You called it Kemp 2.0. But we're seeing this unburdened, Brian Kemp, who doesn't have to worry about sticking to a really tight message anymore, he doesn't have to worry about a looming election. He still might yet run for Senate in 2026. Hell, he might even run for something in 2024. But right now, we're seeing a very looser, freer version of him. Um, at the Eggs and Issues breakfast, he's like, look, I could be frank now. <laughs> you know, and He said something that he might not have said uh, a year or two ago. We certainly have heard him criticize Donald Trump, and we never heard him criticize Donald Trump. How many times did we say on the show during the campaign that he was proud of never saying a single bad word about Donald Trump? Well, after his election victory, he said a few, you know, not necessarily scathing critiques, mild, I'd call them, but he still criticized the former president a few times, whereas before he was clearly holding his tongue, and he's taking trips like he, he took to Davos. And we could just see... I always I kind of compare this to Governor Nathan Deal's second term, where it was very clear Nathan Deal had no ambitions to go to back to Washington. He had been a congressman. He wasn't seen as a national candidate. He was perfectly content, you know, to continue fighting for his agenda, but he wasn't going to make any big splashes. Governor Kemp could surprise us a few more times, you know, in the next few weeks, even let alone the next year. Uh, Governor Kemp is just going to be a much. He's going to have a very different second term agenda than we saw from Governor Deal, and frankly, probably than we saw from Sonny Perdue. Yeah, well, it's really a chance for all governors in their second term to start to think about what kind of legacy am I going to leave behind on this state? Because with eight years in the governor's office, there's so much you can do. And once you've gotten to that second term, you can really start to look at your successes and build on those, um, or even pick something entirely new that you've always wanted to do and just didn't have the running room to to really focus on. I was so interested in Kim's remarks at Davos, though, because they were still quite on message. We've had two record years in a row economically. Our mid-year numbers will probably break last year's numbers if you take out the two big mega, mega projects we had. We talked about the things that we did on teacher pay raises, on school security, our two health care waivers, even though a lot of the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C. was trying to hold those up. We had innovative solutions that are lower in private sector costs and bringing more access to people, uh, really pushing back to the one-size-fits-all narrative that my opponent's been driving for literally six years now. So he really remains quite disciplined in these public settings, but I think it's really his agenda and his plans where he's going to have more freedom. He can really do whatever it is he's wanted to do. He's got immense political support here on the ground in Georgia. Um, He has uh, kind of the field to himself nationally in terms of uh, this really unique space where he is both quite conservative and also free of Donald Trump. He doesn't have to worry about the guy anymore. So it'll be just like with 
Senator Warnock. It'll be really fascinating to see what Kemp does with this running room. It's a unique time in every politician's career when they've just come out of re-election. And in Kemp's case, he doesn't have to face the voters again unless he really wants to. And, and of course, with Governor Kemp, six months could bring a completely different political climate, a different reality. I, I speak to groups all the time, and I spoke to one earlier this morning, and, and I got several questions, you know, to the degree of why would, you know, David Perdue even challenge Governor Kemp? Why would Stacey Abrams even bother? And I always have to remind groups, December of 2021 was a very different atmosphere than December of 2022. December of 2021, Governor Kemp was being routinely booed at Republican gatherings. Donald Trump's endorsement still was the golden ticket or seen as the golden ticket in Georgia. Stacey Abrams was a national Democratic superstar who was threatening to outraise Governor Kemp by a mile, and she did. And so there's all these things that seemed to work against him, even though he had the powers of incumbency. And so, you know, things change, obviously. And Governor Kemp knows that right now he has a re-election safely bottled up, locked up, and he's got high approval ratings right now. And, and we'll see what he does to make the most of it. Patricia, before we get out of here, I want to ask you about your latest column on former Senator Kelly Leffler and what her plans might be. Because we know that she started Greater Georgia, which was seen as the sort of Republican counterweight to Stacey Abrams' Fair Fight Action Group. But 2026 is far, but it's not that far away from now. Uh, she clearly is is starting to maneuver uh, for something, although we're not quite sure what it is. Yes. So as you said, she started Greater Georgia, which is an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan kind of voter registration group, but focused on conservative voters. And she said she did that to really start to begin this ground roots effort to have a year round presence on the ground, trying to bring over conservatives into the political process. That was after hundreds of thousands of Republicans stayed home between the 2020 election in November and the 2021 runoff that she lost as a result. So she started that to begin to do that work. Then she also started a leadership group to support state Senate candidates, GOP state Senate candidates, had a lot of success on the ground in 2022. And she has, frankly, just spent millions of dollars of her own money standing up kind of a full-fledged operation of staff of, you know, right before the campaign, door knockers, texting, polling, media, ad buys, just the whole nine yards. And really typically what you see a state party doing. And this is happening while the GOP, uh, the state GOP itself is really receding. They're in a feud with Governor Kemp for coming out and supporting a number of candidates against sitting Republicans. And so Leffler has created this independent sort of Leffler operation with millions of dollars for their own money. And the question is sort of, where is this all going? You know, part of it is that she said, once she lost, she had this huge group, this huge operation that she had created, and she sort of hated to just let it go away. It did, those operations just disappear into the ether. People pack their boxes, disappear. Maybe you never even talk to them again. So she wanted to sort of keep that going. She's like, I felt like I started something. I wanted to keep it going. But then I also did ask her, you know, a number of people feel like she is uh, sort of creating this statewide operation and relationships that maybe she didn't have before. What are her plans? And she said uh, she doesn't have any plans at this time. But she said, I also don't know why I would ever close the door because I did it once and I would do it all over again. So she says she doesn't have any specific plans, but she certainly 
is a woman with a lot of money, also a lot of interest in this space, the kind of interest that, you know, she really nerds out on numbers and data and wonky stuff that only a handful of people really like to talk about, and a lot of ambition. You know, this is somebody who uh, took that state Senate seat when Governor Brian Kemp offered it to her. And um, I don't, it doesn't feel like she's done yet. It, no, it doesn't. And not only does she have um, all those things you just you mentioned, but she she's building that IOU list, right? She's building that list of favors. She's helped out a lot of Georgia state senators in the recent election. You know, she's contributing and helping a number of other grassroots activists and lawmakers. So she's building up that that list of IOUs. And of course, she already has that soaring name recognition because when you run in the most expensive Senate races in the nation's history, a lot of people remember your name. And who knows how it'll be in four years. Um, but certainly right now, she's still top of mind to a lot of Georgia voters. Okay, coming up on Friday's episode, we're going to answer your questions for the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a message, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. You can also email us, send us tweets and direct messages, all that good stuff. We've been getting a lot of email questions lately too. We cannot wait to hear from you. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday and every Friday, whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, 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 oh,